Welcome to Away From The Keyboard. We give you a glimpse into the lives, interests, and tech behind today's technologists. Please join our hosts, Cecil Phillip and Richie Rump, as we get away from the keyboard. Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, where technologists tell their stories of how they started, how they grew, how they learned, and how they unwind. My name is Richie Rump, and joining me is my co-host, Cecil Phillip. How are you doing today, Cecil? Doing pretty good, Richie. What's going on? Man, for a while now, I've been playing this game called Marvel Legendary. Oh, what's that? So that is a deck-building game. Those of you who play deck-building games may have played something called Dominion. But this is very similar, um, where you pick your heroes. You pick, like, five heroes at the beginning of the game. And you pick your villains that you're going up against. And you use cards to defeat the villains and the mastermind. Ooh. Yeah, so my uh, daughter and I have been playing this game for a few years now, and we've gotten essentially all the expansions. And the problem is when you have these deck building games, you get all these expansions, is that you get all of these cards, and all of a sudden these cards are all in these boxes, and you have no idea what these boxes are, and you don't know what the cards are. And I was searching around a great site called Board Game Geek, and so if you're interested in any type of board gaming stuff, it's a great community to be a part of some folks have put some dividers out there for these cards. So you could actually tell what the, all these cards are, you know, uh, we have over a hundred different heroes. We just don't know where they are. So I went to a good old, uh, office Depot and uh, got these dividers all printed up on uh, high gloss cardstock. And I've been in the process of cutting them out and then putting them all into the game. So we can actually play, with all of these different characters that we have. So it's been pretty cool. That's cool. You should uh, take some pictures and we could um, put it online so people could see what they look like. Yeah, I've actually uh, took one picture of me cutting all these things out um, and put it on Instagram, my Instagram feed. But uh, sure, I will absolutely do that. Yeah, let's do that. That'll be cool so people could see you know, what it, what it actually takes to, to get some of that stuff done. So I know that you've been busy. I, I have been busy. So I believe the last time we recorded... I was, I almost got the keys. Now I do have the keys, you know, so I... The keys to what, Cecil? The keys to my first home. Wow. Congratulations, well, the first home man. that I own anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and the bank, right? Me and the bank, right? We're, we're, we're being partners in this endeavor so far. Well, congratulations, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. So, you know, we got the keys about a week ago and, you know, I spent my... Mem- what was it? Um, my Labor Day weekend. Labor Day. Yeah. Spent my Labor Day weekend painting and ripping up floors and looking at flooring and tiles and <laughs> all that stuff that homeowners do. You know, your 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 weekend it sounds like my weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely doing a lot of you know, definitely doing a lot of renovation this weekend. So, um, but it's been it's been fun. It's been a learning experience for me because you know, I've obviously never done it before. I've never owned my own house before. But uh, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing the finished product and, you know, officially just moving into, you know, my own place. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm really excited for you. That's uh, it's a big step. It's just kind of a scary step. But uh, congratulations again, man. Yeah, it, it for sure is. But, you know, I you know what I'll do? I'll take some pictures, too. And you guys can see what it what a, a ripped up floor looks like. <laughs> <laughs> it is no fun. You know, what's crazy. It's ridiculous. The amount of dirt carpet yes. traps yep you know i'm ripping up this carpet and the amount of dust that's just flying up in the air it's just absolutely ridiculous but it's yeah. just absolutely yeah. crazy 
It's really nasty. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you don't want to roll yourself up in a, in an old carpet. It's it's like the worst thing ever. Yeah. It is. So who are we talking to today? So today we're talking to Daniel Moore. So Daniel is the HyperDev team lead and a member of the technical staff at Foggrate Software. He's a creator of the popular reactive templating framework Hamlet.coffee and has worked in a variety of web programming roles at Sony, OkCupid, and others. This episode was recorded on July 26, 2016, and now our conversation with Daniel Exmoor. And now, away from the keyboard's feature conversation. Hi, I'm Daniel Moore, or Daniel X, as I'm known on the internet. I work at Fog Creek on a new product called HyperDev, and it's pretty cool. Where did the X come from? How do you become Daniel X? Uh, so if you guys are familiar with Futurama, yeah. there's a writer of Futurama named David X. Cohen in the credits. His real name is David S. Cohen, but that name was taken in the Writers Guild, so he did David X. X to be like more unique or whatever. Gotcha. So I'm like, hey, if it's going to work for him, it could work for me. Sure. Why not? Why not? Not like Professor X. It seems like you have too much hair for that. Uh, I mean, it's there's a lot of famous people with X in the name and it's like a memorable letter that's kind of rare. And on Google, because I have probably one of the top 10 most common first and like top 20 most common last names, it's uh, really helps my uniqueness. Right, 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 right. And so what is it exactly that you, you do for your, your day job right now, Daniel? Uh, yeah, so right now I'm working at Fog Creek. Uh, we just launched this product called HyperDev in June, actually uh, last day in May, I think. And it's a tool for developers to launch apps very quickly. Uh, currently it's Node apps, but uh, we plan to expand to multiple languages. So if you go to hyperdev.com, you will be shown an editor with an Express app template in it. And within two seconds, your app is already running. You have a unique URL. You type changes into the editor, and it automatically deploys in under a second. So it's like dramatically lowering the barrier for people to just get started programming. Oh, okay, okay. So it's kind of like, um, so what are those things called? Um, so you like, know, like JS Fiddle or like JS Fiddle or CodePen or yeah, but this has a server side components. Okay. In addition to just the front end pieces, so it's like a full stack. Uh, you can do any code, install any NPM packages. Uh, you can copy and paste stuff from Stack Overflow. It'll just work, uh, assuming the answer works to begin with. But yeah, it'll sure. Uh, sure. it's real code. And could you tell us really quick a little bit, like what does Fog Creek do? Let's see. So Fog Creek uh, is a software company founded by Joel Spolsky and Michael Pryor in 2001, I believe. And so it's like a 15-year-old software company, which makes it seem ancient by our modern standards. They've launched a bunch of different products over the years. Uh, they spun off Stack Overflow and Trello. Uh, their main product is Fogbugs, an online bug tracking software. They've been like fairly innovative over the years, like the track record shows they were able to kind of follow other ideas and follow interesting things. So it did seem like it matched my philosophy of being pragmatic, but also exploring things and being open to ideas. Uh, so it was a pretty good fit. Hmm. Uh, so when I got started there, uh, we were, I think it was right after Trello split off, basically. And they weren't really looking for new ideas at the time, but pretty soon after they started looking and again, uh, we had this thing called Creek Weeks where 
you and another person can take like a week to explore an idea. Uh, and at first I was, didn't really want to explore an idea that was like a direct follow on to this thing I'd done. I was trying to make like a hypercard environment in the browser or something. It was kind of what I was trying to pitch it as. It was like a visual programming or maybe like a scripting thing like Flash or hypercard, but it'd just be pure web-based and maybe a better web citizen, easier to share, easier to edit in the browser. But I think Joel said, if you're doing visual programming or any kind of like visual thing, that's probably a waste of time. Uh, and I think that's true because people have been trying to do it for 30 years and it's not really caught on. If whatever you're doing is going to give you the ability to like publish a PhD thesis, then it might not be the most pragmatic business tool. So then I figured, okay, if doing something like visual isn't going to be that intro or is going to be like a lot more uh, work than it's worth, I figured, well, I've got this other prototype. Maybe I could see if there's like a business case for this web-based application development because I've had success with it personally. It feels like living in the future. But since it was pure client side, my prototype, I wanted to explore like, okay, if we were to make a real business and actually meet people where they are as developers. So it probably means like no one cares about CoffeeScript. No one cares about all this other stuff that I like. How do I make it actually help people meet them where they are? So things like Node.js and Express seemed like a great starting point because a lot of developers these days know JavaScript and know Node. Uh, I think like the Stack Overflow uh, survey said about like 50% of developers are JavaScript developers, at least on Stack Overflow. That's like 10 million people or something. So by kind of like focusing on, it's just going to be JavaScript, it's just going to be Node.js, you are going to have a server component because tools already exist like JS Fiddle and CodePen. And then it was really like that week we explored sort of how would it like feel as a user? How would it, does a business case exist? We didn't really write any code. It was just kind of figuring out like, is there a successful business here? And it seemed like a pretty good idea to follow up on. Uh, we had a bunch of other ideas too. I think everyone at the company did at least one Creek Week. So there's maybe like 10 ideas or something. And at the end of it, I think we selected two or three to follow up on. And now I think a year and a half later, uh, we launched HyperDev. So it's looking pretty good so far. It's actually like quite different than some of the things I started out with. And I still have my old editor. Just uh, I use it sometimes, but HyperDev is a lot better for things these days. So how did you even get into to building this app? You know, what, what problem is it trying to solve that's different from, you know, some of the other online editor tools that we've seen so far? So I've been sort of interested in web-based applications and code editors for eight or nine years, probably. I was making an online pixel editor probably eight years ago mm -hmm. uh, that I've made about seven versions of and maybe, yeah like seven versions of it over the past nine years. And like it started out like just, I really like the idea of someone can just go to a web page and have an app and be doing something. Like no installs, no anything. Like it seems you can't get much faster than that. Even on mobile, you have to like go to an app store or do whatever. If you could just from mobile go to a web page and your app is already optimized for the screen size and everything, it seems like the best user experience you can get. Uh, so I really kind of focused on that because it just seemed inevitable that that's the way people would get apps in the future. So how did you really get started in doing to doing web development? Like what really 
brought you into it? Uh, let's see. I was actually pretty reluctant to go into like JavaScript and web development in high school. Like the first programming language I learned was Fortran. Uh, it was the summer before I was going to take AP Computer Science, mm. and I went to the local junior college and signed up for Fortran. And then after two weeks, I'm like, okay, yeah, I've basically figured out the basics of Fortran. I'll just drop the class and learn whatever they teach me in AP Computer Science. Uh, so I learned Fortran, then I learned like C++ and AP Computer Science. Uh, and most of the time, I was just messing around like making games. I had this one called Swordmaster. It was like randomly fill. I had like a little level editor too, actually. Yeah. You draw these little like blocks, and the guy could like jump around as this, this MS Paint drawn guy. <laughs> and, <you're laughs> door, and then you could go back through the door and just like jump on these blocks. And it's like, oh yeah, this is so cool. And I don't even know how I did that. Like looking back, like in C or like a level editor. It's a good thing I didn't know what I was doing because I'd have known that I couldn't have done it. <laughs> and so, have you ever? And you know, built any games and put them out into a store, or have you ever? Uh, yeah, have you ever created There's any commercial one, games? I'll tell you my biggest. Uh, yeah, I guess this one might be my biggest success. Let's say it made dozens of dollars. It's called <laughs> Contrasaurus. <laughs> dozens and of dollars. That's a lot more than dozens. I've made on the App Store. Yep. Uh, yeah, it was in Chrome Web Store. I think I made it like six years ago, five years, a while ago. Once like HTML5 was like first kind of. It was even before HTML5 was the term, I think. It was just like starting to be that thing. And when Chrome Web Store was like initially launching, uh, it's about a dinosaur who travels back in time. Wait, no, forwards in time. Uh, a dinosaur travels forwards in time to help defeat the Sandinistas in Nicaragua. Or maybe he's assisting the Sandinistas. I forget. Like The plot's a little <laughs> bit complicated. He's like fighting against the communists, and he's helping Reagan. Uh, it's the years 1984. You're a T-Rex. You get machine guns like a rocket launcher. It's like madness. Uh, it, like the plot. It's like a pretty funny plot, uh, and it's all pretty much a joke. But because the dinosaurs from like 3,700 BC, I think, and that's not the scientifically <laughs> accepted age of the dinosaurs. Uh, sure. Some people like in the comments took it very seriously. Like some people in the comments took it very seriously and. So this is obviously a right-wing propaganda piece about <laughs> fighting dark communists. And like, no, it's, it's just a joke. It's a game. It doesn't, like, maybe there's some political agenda, but it's just funny to see a dinosaur with a machine gun. <laughs> <laughs> and, and tell us again, what's the name of the, the app that we look for in the, the App Store, in the Chrome App Store? Uh, Contrasaurus. Yeah, Contrasaurus. You can also go to Contrasaur.us, I think, unless the domain expired. Can you please tell me there's a power-up of Reagan's uh, Star Wars? And just lasers from oh, the sky. You, just I don't want to spoil or anything. Oh, there oh. is that actually. Yes. Reagan. So I'm just gonna spoil it because only like no one's gonna play it. Uh, <laughs> you get to, like, actually, you could just mute for a minute if you want to miss the spoiler. But anyway, no, we could cut it if we need. Reagan, to. you get to the White House. Yeah, you learn the the ghost of Abraham Lincoln reveals the terrible truth about Reagan, and then there's like an epic boss battle with your jetpack, you're flying in the clouds, like Dragon Ball Z style, Reagan's shooting lasers and missiles, and he's like half robot, it's it's insane. It's actually a pretty tough boss battle, uh, and programming it was fun, but I didn't do it for the money. <laughs> <laughs> now you could just change it to some, you know, orange guy with messed up hair, and it'll work just fine. Yeah, I was trying to leave it open for a sequel, but, uh, I realized if I like did a sequel, I would really 
I have to start explaining my life choices. <laughs> have you ever tried to make any type of non-web based games, or have you? Is like your skill set mainly around like that? You know, looking and exploring web technologies. Uh, recently, it's been a lot about web technologies in the past five or seven years, though. I also played some games in Ruby, uh, like 2D game one called Dog Seeder. It was like a dwarf fortress clone where like you're a farmer, you plant some seeds and they grow into plants. Then like a goblin comes by and steals all your crops. <laughs> and you have like a little dog going around. <laughs> it, was, uh, um, it was pretty fun. That's funny. That's... <laughs> I'm, like, I don't even know if I have the source. I probably have a source code somewhere. I don't even know if it builds anymore because like, you know, you do something that's like some Ruby game app in a Ruby library like from eight years ago. And like, maybe it works. I don't know. I don't even know how to bundle it. Definitely sounds like something like you need a, you should have a team of like different people to do your UI, your designers, you know, the, the folks that are going to be doing your performance. Again, yeah. some of those folks that are going to be doing some of that psychological analysis that you're talking about. But then you're a manager, and then you're not a game developer. Like it's a yeah. definite trade off. Like, okay, you get a team of all the people, and now they have to work together. They have to have a shared vision. They have to make sure all their pieces fit together. And, it doesn't make it easier. It just it's more people. Uh, you yeah, know. <laughs> yeah. That's that's more people vying off of yeah. the the proceeds from one. And then your game has to be even multiple that much more successful to make a living off it. I like the Dwarf Fortress guy. If you guys don't know him, he's a. Uh, I've never met him, but I like his story of he just made the game he wanted to make. It's like this little ASCII art, you know, very simple ASCII graphics mm-hmm. about these dwarves that go into a mountain. Mm-hmm. And it has like Vim key bindings as like the user interface. Oh my God. And so you like designate little areas and they dig it out and then they like build their little town. It's like the Sims, I guess, but like sort of if the Sims was on a Unix console. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so these dwarves are like going to the mountain and you can like inspect like everything. It generates a whole history of like a thousand years or whatever of all the characters and all their lives and all their artifacts and all their writing. And you can like read about all kinds of stuff in this world, but it's just little ASCII characters. So you like imagine all their stories and their lives, and you tell them to dig in here, but they accidentally like dig too far, and the magma like floods in and kills them all, and then you have to start again. And like it's uh, and it's really cool because he's just making this weird amateur game, and I think he makes like four thousand dollars a month, I guess, from donations. What? But it's pretty good. He's like making a living. He's been making the game for like 10 years, maybe. Like, it's been going on for a while. It's a download desktop game. And, like, it's really cool. It takes about like 30 hours to learn how to play it. And then you can play it for like 30 hours. And then you start automating stuff with like macros and spreadsheets. And then, I don't know. Like, it's just fun. Like, the fun part, though, is you just read the stories of other people who played it. And, like, they had their fortress. And then this insane thing happened. And, like, all the cats started dragging blood everywhere over the fortress and it muddied up everything and all the dwarves went insane and killed each other and it's like this is so weird and so beautiful it's like (laughs) (laughs) it sounds like one of those cult classic type games uh yeah definitely it's like very niche it's not like mainstream there's no chance of it to be like a triple a blockbuster uh but he has like a dedicated following because he's true to his heart and he's just like doing his thing and so like i really like that people can do that. But it's like weird because it's hard to do that. Like he is kind of, he's making enough money, but he's not making a lot of money. Sure. And he's got this like a little sweet spot where he's like making enough to keep doing it. And that's good enough for him. And that's good enough for his audience. And so they're, they're kind of stable, you know? 
sure, sure. You also made like a, a game engine, right? And I heard you have a little community that you found around that too. So how how does how did uh like can you talk uh, about that for a little bit? Yeah, I think around after I made my pixel editor, one of my goals was to always make it like I always wanted to make some kind of online game. I had like a simple 2D style second life. You could like draw little images and put them in a little room. And then you could like make links to other rooms. Uh, but that never really took off. I keep trying to like revisit that idea every once in a while. But I made like a whole game library where people could go in their browser, go to a web page as a little code editor. You'll see a common theme on a lot of my projects. <laughs> and like click run. It'll compile all the code and it'll run it in like a little pop-up window and then they could like play their game. But because it was kind of all like my own, I was trying to build the library and the runtime and like I was just trying to build way too much. So no one could really figure out exactly the way the library worked because I didn't have enough time to do all the documentation and all the examples. Devs don't write documentation. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Well, if you want people to use your tools, you need to. You should. You uh, should tell some more open source people that. Yeah. I mean, sometimes <laughs> people use them out of like desperation where their problem is so dire. They'll just like, okay, I'll try this thing and hope it works. And yeah. I'll look at the source code and hope I can figure it out. But uh, yeah. So people were like, I think a couple people used it, but it was mainly I was just making a bunch of games in it. I actually once made 100 games in 100 days. And like 10 of them were pretty good. Or maybe it was like 90 games in 90 days, but there's like a few that were pretty good. And I was using it like the same tool, so I could like rapidly prototype stuff, publish them online. And they're all web games, right? Like, and, so all like yeah, it's just go. a really, yeah, they're all web games, yeah. Uh, I think since, yeah, they're archived actually, so I think you can get to most of them. But they were actually down for a while, because what happened since no one else was using the game engine part, I just took out the game editor and left the pixel editor, because that was the only thing people actually used. Mm -hmm. And so it's like uh, PixieEngine.com. It's another hobby site. Uh, and it's just like a bunch of kids drawing Pokemons uh, or whatever people do on the internet. And it's like cool having a little art site because you kind of like get to know what's popular right now. Sure. Like I was actually working for a company in the Bay Area about seven years ago or six years ago. And they had an art site, like popular art site where people could remix each other's work and things like that. And I got in on the ground floor of hearing about like Justin Bieber and all this stuff because that was what was popular then, you know, but sure. So tell me what exactly goes into building a game engine? Because I actually I have no idea where you'd even start doing something like that. Uh, so I guess the way most people do it is you're trying to build a game and then you have like a couple of utility scripts that help you do certain things like here's a quad tree and here's like some bounding box intersection. Here's like some simple physics stuff. And you kind of keep adding to it and eventually like, oh, I guess I have enough stuff. I could turn it into a game engine. At least that's the way like it should go. Okay. I know Chevy Ray uh, has a pretty good, I think he made, what is it, Flashpunk? And there's another one, uh, Flixel, I think by Adam Atomic. And so I think those guys probably started from, these are libraries I use and I'm just, they keep adding to them and eventually they publish it and say, here's how I make all my games. And it works for them because they actually make some pretty good games uh, and release them. I usually get caught up in building engines. So I've actually, I've come around and I've gained some wisdom. Now I'm a little bet better at uh, accomplishing the goals I originally set out to accomplish. But I still like to get distracted once in a while. I've gotten smarter about it though. I recently started a new side project, another Dwarf Fortress clone. 
But this time I know that it's never going to be popular. It's never going to make any money. It's just a hobby and it's just for me to have fun. And so if I put a space on it like that, like this weekend I was looking at how to do how to do arbitrary like matrix math and the graphics card in JavaScript. And I was just like looking in how to do that, even though like it's, I guess it's trying to like water simulation in the game. You know, it's like when the river floods, I have this like really realistic water simulation because it'll run with a bunch of math on the graphics card. And like in a real game, that would just be if you're trying to sell it or make money or actually ship it, that'd be like a big waste of time because you could just fake it and say, yeah, the water's just going to be weird and it'll be fun. I'll make the water the most fun, not the most realistic. Right. And like, that would be a better game. But because this is for me to have fun, I get to learn about doing math on the GPU and JavaScript, which I was like one of the times I really felt like I was totally out of my league. It's like, how am I even going to learn this stuff? But because I had a goal, I figured it out and I can see other applications too. You could use it for uh, like filters on digital images. It's like the same, the math's the same, but you can use it for all kinds of different stuff. Uh, so it ended up yielding this like interesting skill that I wouldn't have found or I wouldn't have found directly like I wouldn't have had the motivation to say I want to learn how to do how to emboss an image like that sounds boring it's like I want to make the best water simulation in this game oh it turns out the math's all the same and using the graphics card to accelerate it could be applied to all kinds of stuff and then it's like a more fun way to learn and then it like frees me up uh, in my day-to-day work like I don't have to go off and try some weird experiment because I have that as like a separate place. It's like, yeah, I can just do things the normal way. I don't need to use React and Angular and a cool new thing just to learn it because I've got a space where I can learn stuff and then another space where I can be pragmatic. I really like one of the points that you made was you had that feeling of, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know how am I going to figure this stuff out. But like just your your passion and your perseverance kind of just took you through it and it 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 got you to the place where you could be productive and, and now you have, you know, you're a lot more knowledgeable because of it. You know, do you generally find yourself to be like that much self-motivated that, you know, if you need to learn something that you could just dump in and learn it or how does that, how does that really work for you? Uh, I think I have to be in like the right mood to learn things and sort of like as I get older and have less free time and more stress, it actually makes it a lot harder to learn things yep. because you're like, I just want to do the thing that'll work. I don't want to learn anything. I just want to be done with this. And like, if you just want to solve the problem, like if your problem is, I want the result, you're not really in a learning mindset. But if you're like, I want to have fun, I want to explore. And then you hit like a hard challenge. Then it's like really weird. It's like, okay, I want to explore this thing. This is like really hard problem. I don't even know, like, can I even learn it? Like how many days would it take me to learn this? And like, you just, you don't know. So like you try it, you see what happens. And usually it like feels bad when you're way over your head. You're like, okay, I'm learning Navier Stokes, like fluid dynamics, and I can't read these integrals. I don't know what it means. And like you just start Googling, you find a good tutorial. You're like, okay, this guy's breaking it down. Maybe I can make a little bit of progress. And if you just kind of like keep immersing yourself in it, you will eventually figure it out. Like even if you take like 10 days or a month like you can figure it out if you just keep at it instead of the goal being the result the goal is like the journey then it's a lot easier to learn but at work like day to day it's not you know your boss doesn't want you to have a great journey necessarily like they do they want you to be happy enough but 
the business cares about the results. So it's like a tough conflict. No, and that that's that's so true. And that's a really interesting way to look at things. Again, looking at the journey and the fun that you have going through the process than the result. Because it's kind of like, okay, I've got the result. Now, what's the next thing for me to, you know, where am I going to yeah. get my fulfillment from now? Like, what's going to be the next thing for me to kind of dive into to, to quench that, that, um, that thirst that I have? Yeah, and I think you definitely need, like, both. Because if you do just focus on the journey, you may never learn anything that is actually practical or could be applied to anything. And if you only focus on the result, you might be, like, so optimized for that one situation or like take shortcuts where you miss out on a lot of other stuff. And so it's like having that balance of short term, I have this goal and long term, I want to be open to new things. I want to be open to discoveries. And like, it's really, I guess, about maintaining your mood, like to be able to shift that and like have these different places where you can achieve different outcomes. And so what about the orange orchard? I kind of want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I wanted to talk. You piqued my interest there. Uh, yeah, I was doing a lot of chainsaw work. Uh, I was in pretty good shape like a couple of years ago, but then when I started full time employment again, I didn't have enough time to also do the orchard and work and have hobbies and be a dad. So the orchard is kind of a uh, getting a little bit neglected. No, no, yeah. say it isn't so. <laughs> Yeah, I might have to hire some more help to uh, take care of stuff. My dad does a pretty good job, too. Uh, he's actually, there's 40 Acres, which is my place, and my brother, we co-own it, but he's in Oakland right now. So I'm living there uh, with a family uh, out in the country. It's pretty nice. I used to live in San Francisco, and that's nice, too. Even out in the country where I live, it's too crowded. I've got like five neighbors within a quarter mile, so it's pretty dense for my tastes <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can imagine so so tell me like with all these oranges around you like what do you like what do you do with them man do you play like basketball with them or like like there's so many oranges around like, uh, what do you do? yeah like you can find them on the ground you can throw them or whatever but like there's no point there's just oh the kids find little tiny ones sometimes like oh, oh yeah? look a baby orange and it's like green <laughs> and like little tiny uh, in March and April, uh, you can smell orange blossoms. It's great. Do you guys make stuff with them? Like, I'm, I'm uh, guessing you do, guys never have to buy orange juice. Yeah, we make some orange juice sometimes. Uh, if ever we want oranges, we can usually go out and pick some. We sell them uh, to a packing house, and they like pack them and ship them, send them to uh, Japan or stores or wherever people buy oranges. Sure. I guess we sent them to Florida, and Florida sends them their oranges to California. That's probably how it works. Yeah, funny how that works, right? <laughs> Why the, the the move to an orange growth? Yeah, I guess rent in the Bay Area was getting insane, and I figured... Do so not blame me at all. Yeah, it's, yeah. Staying, it's still insane, from yeah. what I understand. I it's left still... like two years ago, and I was like, okay, it's been insane, and it's getting more insane. And like, if I'm even to find a job here... It's like, oh, yeah, we're a startup. We're paying market rates where 75% of your money goes to your rent. And it's like, well, maybe I'll just take a break, go to the orchard, clean, you know, return to the land, spend some time with my family, and then, like, find a place that offers remote. And it worked out. <laughs> That's so cool, you know, because um, I've lived in city all my life, or at least suburb, suburb life, bourbon life. My wife and I talk about it all the time. It's like, well just get away from the traffic and the noise and the hustle and bustle 
and we don't we don't even hustle and bustle anymore. I work out of the house and my wife homeschools, right? So it's like we're here like all the time. But um just something that's simpler, right? You know, I, I feel like sometimes I've been I was born like in the wrong decade. <laughs> yeah. Like it is uh sort of relaxing actually to just be able to look out and see a bunch of trees and like walk around and we have a little creek at like the back of the property. Uh the kids go swimming there. And so it's just like it's sort of nice to be, even though an orchard is kind of an artificial construction of all the trees and the rows, it's still a lot closer to nature than our suburban constructions and our cities and has a certain tranquility to it. So do you work from home, actually? Yeah, uh, I work from home and I try and keep pretty close to East Coast hours, which actually works out great because the kids wake up at 6 a.m. anyway. So... So then the kids are out of the house and then you're pretty much, you know, you pretty much got peace and quiet for most of the day to get, uh, to get. Yeah. Yeah. My wife's, uh, training to be a Montessori teacher. And so next year in the fall, she's going to be taking both of the kids to the same school uh, that she's going to be teaching at. And so it should be pretty good. And like this year they were both going to preschool also. Uh, and so most of the days I was able to have, have like the full day to do work. Uh, and I'm usually pretty good at, sort of keeping my work to, even though I work remote, like it's easy to always get on the computer, but I've been uh, trying to be pretty disciplined about not checking my work email after hours. Uh, on my, I actually just got a cell phone that has a smartphone in 2016. Figured it was about <laughs> time. <laughs> but uh, I didn't enable notifications on any like Slack or anything on my phone for work. Good I'll idea. check it once in a while if I'm like out and about uh, and it's, yeah. Like during the day, if I have to run an errand, I can check it. But I just figure I'm on the computer enough. I don't need uh, also to be on the computer in my pocket or in my hand or when I'm out in the orchard or with the kids or at the store. Yeah, I mean, I know me and Rishi talk a lot about chat application overload sometimes. And it's just like, okay, I don't know which one of these I'm going to answer right now. So I'm just going to like clear all and just not talk to anyone. Yeah. Like just close it all. Sometimes yeah, it's just I, too much. Yeah, I think by waiting until 2016 to get a smartphone, I like, didn't get addicted to all of that stuff. And so yeah. now that everyone's kind of used to it, like I can get by without being addicted to it. <laughs> right, 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 right. right. Huh, that's interesting. So how do you kind of focus when you're at home? I'm wondering because I always tell people if I was home, you know, I, I have to go outside because I'll be in the fridge. I'm going to turn the TV on. I'm going to find stuff to do. Yeah. I have a separate office that is uh, and a separate desk. I have like two desks in my office and one is my work desk and I'm there, I'm doing my work. Mm-hmm. I also have like a standing desk uh, that I can play some games on, but it's at a separate station. It's not in the same place. Mm-hmm. So if I want to clock out at uh, 6 p.m. East Coast, I guess 3 p.m. Pacific, which is actually pretty nice if I start earlier, then the afternoon's free for me as well. So play a little bit games, uh, hang out with the kids, do some weird programming stuff in the evening then repeat uh i guess so far it's working okay <laughs> it's last thing i want to ask you and you might have already answered this show already this this question already i gotta ask you what we call it. we call it the question of the show right you want to do the honors richard or do you want me to do it no you do a great job with it and people think it would be weird of me asking the show <laughs> <laughs> okay so question of the show so, Daniel, what do you do when you're away from the keyboard? Okay, let's see. I guess I walk around in my orange orchard. 
and look at all the trees I need to chop and change. <laughs> all of the yard work that needs to get done. Yeah, all the in, uh, the other infinite amount of work that I need to do. <laughs> That's funny. You know how they have um, this app? It's called Alfred. And essentially, it's 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 like a mobile app that brings, you know, they bring some people to clean your house. And, you know, you have people to pick up your mail and that do stuff for you. Maybe there's a, a Alfred for um, for orchard work, right? Maybe. You, you could call I mean, Alfred out and be like, hey, could you chop these trees up for me real quick? Yeah. And I need there's to get people, these oranges. There's people I can call up. Uh, it's uh, it's tough. Because like, then if it's all done, then it's like, well, what more can I do? You know, The cool thing about having an orchard is you can spend as much time as you want on it as you want. Like It's an unlimited amount of work. <laughs> no, that's true. Especially when you have a 40 acres of it. I mean, yeah. We'd like to thank Daniel for being a guest on the show. It was great to have the opportunity to chat with him. If you like the show, please tell your friends and leave a comment on the website at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Also, remember to check us out on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash podcast and on Twitter at AFTKpodcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Cecil Phillip and Richie at Jarris. That's J-O-R-R-I-S-S. You can subscribe to the show via the website on SoundCloud or on iTunes. And if you really want to know what makes us tick, sign up to our newsletter where you get extra episodes and behind-the-scenes access to Away From The Keyboard. Next on Away From The Keyboard, we'll have author, trainer, podcaster, and developer, Jesse Liberty. It was so cool to talk to Jesse Liberty. I had listened to his podcast for uh, a long time and be able to talk to him one-on-one was awesome. I think one of the cool things for me was being able to speak with him after I've read so many of his books before I even came to college. So I think that that was very, you know, that was very cool for me. Yeah, <laughs> that uh, it's a, it was a fun conversation to kind of get into his head a little bit. And uh, we hope everyone comes back. See you next time. Peace. to thank you for listening to away from the keyboard as a reminder we will have new episodes each and every week you can interact with us on twitter at aftk podcast or at awayfromthekeyboard.com hasta luego
Do, do you know how many Pokemon I've caught while you were speaking at Dot in Miami last week, man? No, there's at least six of them that just popped up. Because instead of listening to or paying attention to the meeting, you're playing Pokemon in the back of the room. Well, see, where they have the, the building, there's two Pokestops, like, right in the middle. So I was just going back and forth between both Pokestops, like, every five minutes. It was, it was great. You know, I, you, know, you, you know, you could buy Pokestops as a business and put them in front of your place so people will actually come to your, your location. And I'm pretty sure that's well, what's going on. I mean, can you do that yet, or is that just the obvious expansion where they would try I, and make money? I think that's the obvious thing, yeah. I think that's probably what's going to end up happening. Yeah, I was at a Five Guys a couple weeks ago, and maybe it was last week, and sure enough, Pokestop was right next door, right where the Misha's Cupcakes is, mm-hmm. and, and we just kept going in there, Yep, me and the kids. <laughs> Pokemon is even one. There's something... something... So did you see the video where the folks in um, Central Park, I think it was, like some Pokemon dropped somewhere and this guy got, came out of his car and then it's just mass amounts of people like gravitating over to one area of the park. And I'm like, and it's obviously in the middle of the night because it's all pitch black outside. And if one game can make people kind of like just move like sheep, <laughs> Right, like to the other side of the park or wherever it is, like there's something wrong going on and this needs to stop. I, I refuse well. to play any more Pokemon because there's something wrong with it. <laughs> but just think about uh, all the ways all the other things affect your life beyond this game, right? Doesn't it really like the game is just symptomatic. It's showing you how our lives are so controlled in all kinds of ways. And maybe that's the part we find appalling. That game makes me not want to use a cell phone anymore. Like I will put down the cell phone. I'm gonna uninstall Facebook and Twitter. I am, I am coming off of social media. Thank you, it Pokemon Go. The line. Yes. Yeah. It crossed it the showed line. you exactly. <laughs> it crossed the line, man. I'm not having any of it. It's, it's crap, man. And just because you said that, I, I, I'm, I'm now checking Pokemon Go. <laughs> There's nothing around, man. What, what is, what did you do, man? It's your house, man. What did you expect to find? Something, anything. I, you should I got find a Pokemon of, in your house. I got a bunch of Zubats in my house. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only thing that I see when I when I go outside is um, the the ratatas or the ratas or whatever. Oh my gosh, I hate those things. They're everywhere, man. Ratatas, yeah, and pidgeys. Oh yeah, stupid pidgeys. <laughs> pidgeys are too common. Pidgeys are really common. But yeah, could, could we have could, could we have one Pikachu around? I mean, just just one. That's all I want. Uh, I, I haven't saw seen one. Any of those. You did? It ran away. Okay. Yeah, it was. Uh, oh. I'm in San Diego now, but I saw one. I tried to get it, and it ran away just to tease me. You know? <laughs> so let me ask you a question. What is what is the um, like? What's the the Pokemon vibe right in San Diego like? Because I know down here, it's you know, I go to the park. I usually go to the park on the weekends with my son, and I go to the park, man. And the park is full of random people. And everybody's, nobody's on the swings or going on the slides. Everybody's like face down on their phone playing this Pokemon game. I mean, are you just assuming they're playing the game? Maybe they're like on Tinder or whatever. No, dude, because I walked by, I totally walked by and, <laughs> Swipe right. and they're, you know, they're doing the, the finger motion, like throwing Pokeballs up in the air. Okay. Uh, I mean, ever since I started playing Pokemon Go, now whenever I see anyone looking at a cell phone, I just assume they're playing Pokemon Uh <laughs> But in the 
evening i think a lot of people play like there's all these like confetti flying out of pokey stops everywhere but, oh everywhere yeah. so i saw a meetup online the other day for a pokemon bus in miami <laughs> and what it was is you know you meet you pay 25 dollars apparently and you meet some somewhere some group of people and you get on this bus and they just drive you around to Pokestops. And you, cool. you, you hang out with people in a Pokemon bus and drive around for Pokemon until, tour bus. Pokemon tour bus in Miami, right? Like, Hope is going real slow. <laughs> hey man, you gotta get that um those kilometers in, man. Yeah, hatch those eggs. <laughs> hey, gotta get those kilometers in. <laughs> but uh but other than that, if you don't have any other questions or anything else you wanted to to jump in there, then you know, we could uh, we could call it a night. Uh, yeah, it's been great. Thanks, guys. I guess uh, if you ever want me back on, and I'll love to do it. <laughs> no, sure, definitely. I mean, yeah, man. You know, we'll cut the show, put it out, and uh, you know, anytime you have anything cool and interesting that you feel like you want to come on and talk about, like just let us know, yeah. and we'll, we'll schedule it up. I didn't even get into my uh, career as a professional gambler. What? So. <laughs> it just didn't come. Oh up. no! Yeah, you, poker player. Uh, online poker. Oh, wow. Okay, so let's schedule this for next week. I wish <laughs> <laughs> you will be back on. You'll talk to us about poker, about, about gambling. I'm so serious. Are, are, are they still doing the online poker thing? Uh, I dropped out when uh, the feds like shut down NetTeller uh, and it locked so up a bunch of my like, money. that was like, what, 2009? Like 2008 2009? or nine. yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Yep, we're definitely scheduled. But I got my money back week. eventually. <laughs> you are definitely going to be on for next week. We're gonna, we we need a to two parter. I'm fine with that. We need to talk about that. Then, yeah, that that uh, wow. Because yeah, I I saw a um a, a documentary about a month ago about the kind of rise of poker mm-hmm. and it, oh, yeah. the ending of the movie was that whole feds going down on the online online poker. Yeah. Yeah, I got in like at the tail end of it. I knew a guy who got in like a year or two before me who made incredible amounts of money because there's so much like there's just free money like flying everywhere. I got in like right after that got a little bit tighter. So you had to read the books and actually, Hmm. I mean, the guy was pretty smart to make a lot of money, but it got, it kept getting harder until eventually it was harder than just being a real, having a real job. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, look, you had the one guy, what, Chris Moneymaker, who, you know, won the World Series of Poker. Yeah. Right. The main the main event. And he made well, a million dollars or whatever. Yeah. Just from, you know, playing online poker, got a, a buy in from that to the and then he won the whole stinking thing. And it's like, what? Yeah, That's it was uh, it was the Pokemon Go of the era. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Got to get all the money. Gotta get another Gotta catch it all. Right? That's crazy. This episode recorded on July 26th. This episode's remix. This episode. (laughs) Pick up. This episode was recorded on July 26th.
2016. And now, our conversation with Daniel X. Moore. <laughs> 